we definitely align ourselves, I think, a lot with just Bitcoin or values in general. So meritocracy, first and foremost, um, mm-hmm. is one of the driving principles. Uh, working asynchronously, we're all a remote team. Um, having uh, high integrity um, and passion for what we do. And, mm-hmm. and then um, Will, our founder, actually, I think, is really responsible for uh, setting a tone of gratitude within our business, which sounds a bit odd. But, you know, when you're when times are tough and they inevitably will be uh, in, in certain moments at a startup, yeah. like being grateful for the people that you work with um, really goes a long way uh, to, to keeping, you know, the fences mended and, and people moving forward together instead of getting getting argumentative and at each other yeah. uh, and, and point fingers. Welcome to the Bitcoin Talent Co. podcast, where we interview entry-level to C-level executives about working in the Bitcoin industry, learn about their interview process, what they do day-to-day at their Bitcoin job, and advice for current job seekers looking to work full-time in Bitcoin. Hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Talent Co. podcast. I'm your host, Eric Podwaski, and today I'm joined by my friend, Kent Halliburton, who is the president and COO of SAS Mining. Thanks for joining me, Kent. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Right. And where are you based again, Kent? I am in Peru on the uh, in the Amazon region, actually. And I believe I've got the uh, the extreme uh, the extreme honor of being the only Bitcoin node runner in the Amazon. Although I say that on every podcast I attend uh, in hopes that I could be proven wrong and I can meet another Bitcoin in my region. Yeah. So hopefully by the end of this podcast, you'll get some competition there from uh, other people based in Peru. Well, we'll touch upon that some more. I'm curious what it's like living in the Amazon, uh, what the Bitcoin scene's like over there. Because I really just have a US-centric uh, view of Bitcoin and what it's like going to meetups here. So we'd like to hear that side of the story. But before we get there, before we get, start talking about Bitcoin, I'm here. I'm curious to hear more about your professional background. What were you doing before working in the Bitcoin industry? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I actually so I work in Bitcoin mining now, and mm-hmm. I think I worked before this in the only analogous industry on the planet, which is rooftop solar. So I built a career in that. Uh, I had a two year sabbatical, and then fell in love with both a Portuguese woman and a and Bitcoin uh, in that two year sabbatical. So I restarted life in Portugal, uh, lived there for about six seven years. So so uh, glommed onto Bitcoin in end of two thousand fifteen. Uh, and in 2016, started life in Portugal uh, after a, fa- a couple of failed um, attempts at entrepreneurial efforts in the Bitcoin economy there. I wound up in Bitcoin mining, uh, working with SAS Mining in 2021. But rooftop solar, why I say it's analogous, is because it's the only other industry that I've come across. And again, happy to be proven wrong, but only other industry that I've come across that's also distributed decentralized and disruptive the same way Bitcoin is, but Mm -hmm. most crucially, it's also uh, profit constrained by an energy network. And that piece actually um, leads to a lot of decisions about how you wind up positioning a product for the end customer because the dynamics of the energy network change over time. Mm -hmm. And so you need to come up with a valuable uh, valuable proposition for your customers uh, and make that work and deal with dynamics on the other side of the, the equation that a lot of times you don't with uh, with other products. 
Um, so yeah, I, I scaled a couple of rooftop solar organizations, primarily working on sales and software. Um, and sort of at the, the top of my game in that industry was working for a publicly traded company that's primary competitor was, um, run by Elon Musk's cousins at solar city. Yeah, uh, and, uh, yeah, we were, uh, we were building hundreds of rooftop solar systems across the U S each month. Um, and I decided before I continued climbing that corporate ladder that it was good to take a break and go see the world. And mm-hmm. so I, I traveled through about 26 countries uh, during that two-year time period and learned a lot uh, about how the world worked and had a lot of preconceptions as an American sort of blown apart. So invaluable experience, really. Yeah. So you, I guess to sum it up, maybe your operations in like the, uh, the energy in- industry beforehand? Yeah, I would say so. Construction, energy, um, and engineering. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that transition. Then. Let's let's get to your Bitcoin story, and then we'll uh, we'll link the two worlds together. So, how did Bitcoin come into your life? You said maybe like 2015 or so. Yeah. So 2015, I had some time during my travels, and you know, it was it was just picking up loose threads online and and going down different rabbit holes. And I'd never really understood money. Um, and so when I came across Bitcoin, just trying to understand it made me realize I didn't understand money. And so I continued to focus on what that was. And, you know, I, I, I went down the typical uh, shitcoin wheelhouse uh, yeah, game and, <laughs> and trading, like all that, lost Bitcoin, did, did all the stupid things that you mm-hmm. have to do to sort of like earn your stripes uh, in Bitcoin, it seems like, or if you're you know, an avant-garde, maybe you skipped all that, but I didn't. I I had to get, go through it all. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just kept coming back to Bitcoin. And I think really the, the pivotal moment for me, you know, I was, I, I had tried while I was in Portugal, um, to get a business going with Bitcoin ATMs and just the regulatory lack of clarity there made it really difficult to figure out how to do that. Um, I was doing Bitcoin consultancy, you know, helping to onboard folks, uh, but that was kind of slow going with the language barrier. Uh, and actually, I tried to actually use security tokens to fund renewable projects, uh, but it was still just that that tech was too early as well. Uh, but it was actually picking up Jeff Booth's The Price of Tomorrow uh, that I had the light bulb go off really in a pretty substantial way. In fact, the fifth chapter of his book um, where he talks about solar and Bitcoin mining it was like an aha moment. I was like, geez, what am I doing? Let me just yep. figure out how to get into Bitcoin mining because there's going to be an absolute explosion uh, when Bitcoin mining and solar finally collide and it's not happened yet. But I, I think that in the Bitcoin industry, there's, there's always a lot of debate about which energy source is best and this sort of thing. And I think solar is potential, uh, particularly unique because of its price point. Um, and I think that there's a debate about cheap energy versus dense energy. Right. And I think that, that that is going to play out in a very interesting way in the in the years ahead because my buddies still in the solar industry are telling me that, that Swanson's law of you know twenty percent price declines is mm-hmm. continuing you know uh, so it's going to continue to become the cheapest energy source how it gets utilized for mining it remains to be seen exactly it's it, a lot of people try and different approaches there um, and I've been watching but yeah quite keen to see how that plays out from a personal standpoint. I'm I'm curious. Okay, so with your background then and your knowledge of the energy industry, uh, what does the future of Bitcoin mining look like in terms of where the energy is sourced from? I listen to a lot of uh, Marty Penn's podcast, TFTC, some other Bitcoiners that are gung ho on oil, and that's the future. 
how do you see renewables playing to the mix in the future? Do you think it's going to be more prominent or less? Well, I mean, the trend line for uh, Bitcoin mining has been towards renewables, not away mm -hmm. from them, right? Okay. And and uh, and uh, you know, I think I'm probably going to misquote this, but I think since 2019, uh, the network has become like 30 or 40 percent more renewable. Uh, wow. and by renewable, let me let me back up. By renewable, uh, I actually look at it less as renewable and more carbon free. Right. Um, I, I think that that's a better better way to look at it. But it's become right. about like thirty six percent more uh, carbon free in about four years. That's huh. that's a pretty healthy trend. And I think you know the reality is that most renewable energy, and I think actually that umbrella term is needs to be broken down and talked about with more nuance. So hydro is very different. It's not intermittent than say solar which is intermittent but has a different profile than wind right mm -hmm. um, wind you know we actually can predict very well when the sunrises are going to be and when the sunsets are going to be so we know how much sunlight is in the sky and when that will be uh, versus wind uh, is a little bit more finicky and so it has some more issues with it. So I think breaking those three down, hydropower is clearly the best fit for Bitcoin mining right now. It's what we've focused on. Uh, and the benefit to hydro is a lot of it is being produced in places that aren't near population centers. So that leads to underutilized and wasted electricity. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why we wound up in Paraguay. So the, mm -hmm. the story of Paraguay is actually particularly unique because they're exporting almost half of the power that the Bitcoin network utilizes right now at a loss each year. You know, five gigawatts of power are being exported to Brazil at a loss. Um, and we as Bitcoin miners are coming in there and, and flipping a, a liability into an asset. So I think that there's huge potential for, for Paraguay actually to turn into a Texas-like opportunity over time. Um, we'll see how it plays out but because because of this the, the way that the different renewable energy sources work um it does lead to opportunities with very very low cost cheap power because it's wasted uh and that's kind of the key insight that i've had is if electricity is wasted or not able to be used in any productive means bitcoin mining makes a perfect fit there and wasted mm -hmm. electricity is by definition the cheapest electricity because nobody wants it so I don't see until we manage to utilize all the uh, the wasted electricity on the planet, I don't see that we've actually got a whole lot of competition with the grid itself. Mm -hmm. So maybe over the next decade or so, really tapping into more of those areas where electricity is wasted and especially more of the renewable or I guess carbon free ones like hydro, solar, where it makes more sense. Yeah, I'd be interested to see how this plays out. But I think so too. I think it's really interesting. Uh, companies like Gridless, even what you guys are doing, going into a brand new area and creating a whole electric system from scratch, just because you can, the economics makes sense. Uh, I think that's that's where the opportunity lies ahead. Uh, I want to take it back though to your career here. So you were in solar. Uh, you, you start picking up Bitcoin, understanding it, right? Maybe try to start a few businesses under it. Um, what made you want to make the switch from energy to the Bitcoin industry? What was your why? Hey guys, real quick, as a Bitcoin-focused recruiting firm, our goal at Bitcoin Talent Co. is to bring as many professionals into the Bitcoin industry as possible. Since we don't run ads, our one ask is to rate, review, and share this podcast with friends and family so more people can find this show. Thanks, and now back to the interview. 
Oh, my why was pretty easy. I mean, it really comes down to just human freedom. And I think even the the horribly destructive events that we've witnessed over this last weekend, you know, I mean, we're recording this right after Israel declared war on Hamas or Gaza. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure exactly what they've declared war on. But, but to me, you know, there's a trope that is horrible. Um, in its accuracy, but it just seems like the bankers always win. And, and for me, it, the the more that we can get people to move money that is outside of government control or mm-hmm. money printer control, you know, I, I look at it very high level as we have a choice, and you have to make a choice. Um, do you do you want money that is governed by politics and violence, mm-hmm. or do you want money that is governed by math and enforced by electricity? And to me, the, the choice is very clear where I want my money to be. But the more of us that move our money into the math and electricity uh, enforcement approach, which is Bitcoin, the more that we deflate the balloon and the power structure uh, mm-hmm. under the existing uh, financial and, and banking system. And I think the more peaceful our, our planet becomes and the more harmonized we become. And really, that's been my career trajectory has been to focus on career efforts that help to harmonize uh, humanity with the planet. Because I think yeah. that the way that we've lived with fiat has allowed us to become very divorced from physical reality. Yeah. So it's more than just like economic opportunity that's that's driving you to come into this industry. It's more of like from a humanitarian perspective, being able to change the world in that aspect. Because reality is, I think I might have saw the U.S. is sending Israel now a, a package, I don't know, millions, billions of dollars for this to help support this war. That wouldn't be possible under a Bitcoin standard. With, with Bitcoin, you actually get a vote. Me and you have a vote in how this money is being spent by our government. It's not just like, all right, another billions of dollars sent to Ukraine or sent to Israel, wherever else in some foreign land. Uh, it's it's The incentives are more in line. So, yeah, I completely agree with that. And I see that's the reason why most people are coming to this industry, too. It's not just because they want to get rich. It's uh, there, There's much more under the surface here. Um. I want to break into now more SAS mining. So what led up to the uh, the start of it? Were you part of like the, the founding team or did you join later on? Well, I was part of the the founding team that made the pivot, let's say in 2021. So, okay. so Will, uh, Sam Isagi is the CEO and founder. Uh, mm-hmm. I joined up in early 2021 as just an energy advisor, given my background and said, hey, let me let me help you out. And uh, at that point, SAS Mining was primarily focused on consulting, uh, but on the side was building, uh, doing project development and preparing to deploy capital into a couple large scale mining facilities. And so I, I helped with some of that arrangement of the projects and helped to raise some capital. Well, when Will and I got done with that process, we realized we hadn't raised enough capital to, to make either get off the ground. Uh, but we had a good think about what our clients were calling and wanting help with. And that was really access. Uh, access to Bitcoin mining, low enough uh, cost power to make it uh, profitable for them. And we said, look, we can see that compass mining has absolutely blown up. We can see that there are ways that given my career background that I could bring some new ideas and approaches uh, to the industry. Let's go build a competing product. And and the first thing we did was find a world-class designer, somebody that won awards with like Google and Apple 
to help us figure out what that software experience would be to make like a web two type of approach to Bitcoin mining, where right now, uh, to this day, most of the uh, of the approaches that people have to get into mining, they're met with kind of a brick and mortar type of approach, you know, physically signing a, uh, contracts, you know, you're talking to people over the phone to try to f figure out all the logistics. We said, let's, you know, there's software that can help us do all that. So we've put it all together and built uh, an elegant approach uh, that's uh, driven based on user experience and customer satisfaction. And then we married that all with a business model that we think is best in class, which is really, we only make money the same way our clients do, which is through revenue share. And what that means is we're non-custodial, we never touch our clients Bitcoin, but we just instruct our mining pool, which is Luxor, to separate the block rewards and send 85% to our clients and just 15% to us as our management fee. So we don't put markups on the mining rigs. We don't put markups on the power rates that we acquire. We simply charge that at cost. And so our clients are able to transparently see what our margins are. But more importantly, knowing that we have the same incentive they do, we care about how long their operations or other mining machines are up. We care about how quickly they're being plugged in. We care about repairs getting taken care of right away. So because of all these reasons, we actually have very high customer satisfaction ratings. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when folks go look at us on Trustpilot, Right. So yeah, taking a different approach and 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 really software driven approach to uh, to making this accessible and and I think the the thing that a lot of people uh, in the industry, my, myself included, up until I'd say about six months to a year ago, have missed is is that you know we are living in a particular uh, historical epic with Bitcoin that I think is going to be proven anomalous. And what I mean by that is if you look towards the future when Bitcoin uh, has made more inroads, I think most Bitcoiners believe that it's at the very least going to become the global reserve asset. The way that you're going to acquire Bitcoin is either by earning it for selling goods and services or by mining it. But you're not going to be able to go to an exchange and procure Bitcoin. Hmm. So if you want to do it through mining, want to acquire Bitcoin through mining, how are you going to do it? And at SAS Mining, we're building that vehicle, and we think actually that the exchanges, uh, we can pull volume from them and hopefully flip them over the long run as, mm -hmm. as the better vehicle for acquiring your Bitcoin. Because right now, it's already substantially cheaper to acquire Bitcoin through mining, through SAS Mining, than it is to go to an exchange. So why would you go to an exchange and, and face all the exchange-based risks? and have to deal with them having custody and KYC. And anyway, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I think that, you know, that message is still hard to get out there because we're still early stages as a business. But I think as that gets out there further and further, most of the Bitcoin community is going to say, yeah, like I, I want my Bitcoin for cheaper and uh, I don't want all the KYC information. And uh, I also don't like that, that uh, they ever custody it because we never do. You know, you're forced to have your Bitcoin sent to your own wallet right off the bat. Yeah, that's my biggest disdain for like the exchanges right now is all the KYC associated with it. Man, it's it's such a risk factor. If you think about Bitcoin today, it's like twenty seven, twenty eight thousand dollars. If it goes ten x, hundred x from now, all like all these exchanges I've supplied my info to, now it's like that's out in the ether, and some malicious actor can get access to that data somehow and track me down one day in the future. So I definitely see the future going towards more anonymous. Anonymous, I can't say that word. Uh, anonymous, I guess. Uh, less, less KYC. So 
interesting that you see you're you're a hosting mining service. Uh, your, your competitors are more exchanges rather than other hosting services. And I think over the last couple of years, this type of service has gotten kind of a a bad mark on it just because early uh, companies that try to implement it didn't do the, do it the best. And I think you guys are really picking up where they left off and, and improving on the on those areas they they lacked. So can you go through and let the audience know where are you guys, how are you guys picking up on what they kind of left out? Like that made this bad mark on this type of service and making it so people want to actually use this as a preferred method to buy Bitcoin. Yeah, I, I want to remark on just one comment you made there, which was particularly eye-opening to me about the risks of exchanges, though. Because I think a lot of us, myself included, think about the hackers getting my data. But what what was very eye-opening with this last cycle to me is it's not even hackers that might get access to your my personal data if I'm using exchanges. When you look at the creditor uh, cases that have gone on with FTX, with BlockFi, with Celsius – a lot of personal information has been leaked just through those legal processes, yeah. right? So you don't even have to necessarily be worried about hackers, but the exchange is actually going down and they have an Great incentive point. to do re rehypothecation, right? And so that's mm -hmm. very likely to see more of those go down and more of your personal information go out there. So anyway, I just want to make that point because it's not just hackers that are at risk with the personal yeah. information, but just the, the legal proceedings when uh, exchanges inevitably fail. It's like um, governments too, but, overall, like their government could just say, Hey, all the exchanges based, let's just say us, for example, give us all your data, pull a 6102. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and for us, I mean, we do need a way to communicate with our customers. So we do want some, an email address and a phone number, but as far as what you call yourself and, and mm -hmm. you know, what that email is and phone number, that's on you, you know, yeah. um, we just need to be able to communicate uh, about how things are going. Um, but as it, as it regards uh, your question about what we have done differently, I would mm -hmm. say, first of all, the main thing that we've done differently is we focus instead of on how we generate the maximum amount of profit, we've instead focused primarily on how do we create a delightful experience for the customer. And so that the first thing we did was, okay, how do we want to make money? Let's do it the same way our customers do. That way we have aligned incentives. We're huge believers here, Will and I are, that um, you show me the incentives and I'll show you the outcome, right? Like right. people follow incentives uh, more than they follow laws, right? So um, incentives matter. So that's number one. Two, you know, we launched our business at a point where the energy FUD was at a at a absolute insane fever pitch. And we said, look, let's tie ourselves, uh, both my personal background, you know, looking to harmonize people with the planet and also professionally, given the reputation that Bitcoin's got and mining has with the energy FUD, let's focus all on carbon free sources. So all of our all of our sites are carbon free. So that's that's number two. Number three, let's lead with transparency so that people actually see what's going on. So we provide clear timelines, we set clear expectations, and we try to minimize the amount of time between when people provide capital to us for mining rigs and the mining rigs are actually deployed. We keep those timelines as short as possible because we're not making money there either. You know, we only make money the same way our clients do. So those are those are some primary ways that we've changed things but the biggest of all is just by serving up the data in a way that people can transparently see how their operation is going without having to pick up the phone to call us 
Mm-hmm. They can. We've got a VIP Telegram community just for customers that we give updates to, and people can call us and have live conversations with agents. But really, creating creating a value proposition that our customers can experience what the value that they're investing. You know, rooftop solar was a high ticket uh, sale. Um, this is a, still a fairly high ticket sale to buy a mining rig. You're talking, you know, average between our two mining rigs, about four thousand or two thousand. So people are investing about three three grand to buy a mining rig. Like people deserve good customer service. They deserve good communications. They deserve clear expectations. And you know, we just set out to deliver that. Yeah, I'd say anecdotally from my perspective too, that seemed like it was the biggest issue the last couple of years, the, the customer service, customer support. I've heard like some horror stories of people not hearing for months at a time, not not knowing what the status of their rigs were. Are they even like on site? Are they plugged in? They had no idea. So I'm glad you guys are, you guys realize that issue and you're picking up on it. Um, so out of your, can you give the audience like a, an overview of like where your mining facilities are located? and what the energy mix is as well as how do you think about jurisdictional risk when it comes to mining yeah we definitely do um so we have uh, 100 hydro uh facilities powered facilities so 100 carbon free um so there's no there is no energy mix it's all just hydropowered electricity um mm-hmm. we've got a facility in wisconsin and our second facility in paraguay just came online last friday uh so really happy about that um but as far as um, your your question of remind what is it jurisdiction? So you have one that's right. one in Paraguay now. Yeah. yeah. So that? so we took we took three months to decide after we so we launched our first uh, facility in the first quarter of two thousand uh, of, of this year, and okay. we filled it. Other companies were going bust, bankruptcy, a lot of hardship going on. But we filled our facility in the first quarter, so we okay, we got product market fit. We took another three months of researching various opportunities uh, across in North and South America. We didn't really want to expand outside of our time zones, mm-hmm. um, but we, we evaluated several different opportunities and we ultimately landed on Paraguay. And a big motivation was during those months, there was some really heavy uh, threats coming down towards the Bitcoin mining industry. And we said, look, if we're outside the US, we're short circuiting uh, those risks if they come to fruition. Thankfully, they haven't. Uh, we'd love to open up more opportunity in the U.S., but I think that a lot of a lot of what's going on with Bitcoin is breaking down national barriers. Right? It is a global network. There's no reason to source energy from a, a U.S.-driven perspective if you can get it at a lower cost safely uh, in another jurisdiction. And mm-hmm. myself, I speak Spanish, I speak Portuguese, and uh, I'm living here in Latin America. So I understand the dynamics of how business works here, which is not the same way that business works in North America. So he mm-hmm. said, let's lean into that as a strength. But I think you're going to see more and more companies do that and play a bit of jurisdictional arbitrage. And certainly that is our plan. Um, we don't plan to limit ourselves just to the U.S. and Paraguay because we think that as Bitcoin adoption continues, different jurisdictions are going to be approving and and others are going to be disapproving and we want to mitigate that risk by by spreading spreading our eggs out a little bit and having operations in different locations yeah i think that's a great idea i was talking to a bitcoin mining company this past uh weekend at the pacific bitcoin conference and they were saying how they're all their facilities based in the united states because of jurisdictional risk and i was thinking to myself that's a risk too even though the u.s has you know the right to mine bill couple other protections around it. It's seeming like uh, the U.S. is a good place for it. It doesn't mean there's zero risk involved. And I think 
branching out like you are and getting to know the governments that are outside the U.S., uh, providing value to them will really set you up for long-term success. So I think that's good on you guys. Um, more about the company itself. How many, how many, uh, how many people do you have on your team right now? And are they all Bitcoiners? We've got 10 on the team. Uh, yes, I would say uh, over the course of this bear market, everybody has become a Bitcoiner. I can't say okay. that when they were, everybody was hired, they were, but yeah, certainly as, as folks have seen the last cycle play out, cause I think becoming a Bitcoiner takes a four, full four year cycle. You've yeah. got to go through the euphoria, the bear market. And if you yeah. hang on through the bear market, you, you have your conversion moment at some right. point. And right. so some of the folks on our team, uh, this was their first cycle. Uh, mm -hmm. right. And so they've, they've definitely become Bitcoin coiner sense but um yeah i i do find that it is fiat reality and bitcoin reality in terms of the workforce i feel like are a bit oil and water it, it's mm -hmm. just easier if you're on 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 one side of that uh, spectrum uh, to yeah. talk the language set everything the way you see the world there is yep. a different value set uh with being within the bitcoin community and it does make it much easier to get things done uh within an organization when everybody's aligned with how bitcoin itself works and uh, is building a business on that would you say now moving forward uh, a prerequisite is you have to be a bitcoiner to join SAS mining or is that not uh, a must i a, at the very least, a passion for what it is we're building, but I don't think you could have that passion without being a Bitcoiner, to be yeah. honest. Um, yeah. I, I think it comes part and parcel. Um, I, and I say that now, we'll see how the bull market goes and, and what competition for Bitcoiners is like in jobs, because I, I do think it'll be harder to to, to acquire Bitcoiners uh, that really understand Bitcoin, because it's a limited supply uh, during a bull right. market when we need to scale and grow. Uh, but right. hopefully you, you guys... Uh, do, do your jobs well at uh, the Bitcoin Talent Co. And, uh, yeah. and, and make that possible. Yeah. So your team's, uh, I guess, a lean team right now. And I'm sure coming out of the bear market, you guys are going to need some more support. Um, mm -hmm. What is your interview, typical interview process like when it comes to interviewing for a Bitcoin mining company? So, yeah, I, I think that this is where... I have probably got the most pride uh, because I did horrible when I scaled uh, the two rooftop solar companies at hiring. Mm -hmm. And so when we started scaling this team, I spent a couple months actually defining the hiring process to make sure to eliminate any inefficiency that led to the wrong people coming on board. And I'm actually incredibly uh, surprised that like 10 out of 11 hires that we've made have been a fit, um, mm -hmm. which is, I was lucky if I was batting 50% before in my, my previous role. So very happy with that. But, but we, we have actually several interviews and the goal with the interview process from where we stand is to make sure that there's no surprise when somebody comes on board. And so by spreading out over several interviews, we both get to know each other to make sure it's a fit. But I do, um, we typically do like just an initial five to 15 minute, just, hey, does it seem like this person could be a cultural fit? Uh, mm -hmm. Are they interested in the right reasons? So not a long interview, but from that, then we do like a personality assessment. Um, and that personality assessment is a secondary screening tool uh, to make sure that people have the right characteristics uh, before we sit down and do like a skills interview uh, and then a biographical interview last and then reference checks on the back end um, to, to round it all out. So, yeah, it's it's not a short process to, to get hired here at SAS Mining, but um, I think that makes far, sense though, for having, well. retaining talent, uh, having that very elongated uh 
interview process makes sense though to keep to keep people within the company. Uh, what about that personality test? What are you looking for exactly in new hires? So I, I actually going to reserve this a little bit as IP, but um, okay. specific things that 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 we do look for they're ca- character based, um, mm-hmm. and and the the personality assessment helps us to to know those like hey uh, is this person driven are they going to be accountable you know are they going to receive feedback you know these these sorts of things that that make for great employees versus difficult to work with employees and and so those things are. It's really surprising um, the approach that we take. It, it turns out that these things can be changed, but uh, not by a whole lot. Like our characters yeah. are kind of what they are. Uh, yeah. You know? Interesting. I hear from like recruiter lens mixed feelings about those personality tests, but it's good to hear from, from your perspective, at least. Uh, it is helping you, I think, assessing candidates. Yeah. Oh, I believe me. I've I've worked with other recruiting firms, and they've been frustrated by us using those because they can send us <laughs> candidates and we turn them down, and and they yeah. get upset by that. But it's like, hey, look, like I'm not going to change a process that's not broken because it's yeah. clear that it's working very well for us to to find the right people using that approach. Yeah. What about I guess back to the team, the company culture overall. So you said most most people if they didn't join as a Bitcoiner, they're pretty down far down the path to getting to being a Bitcoiner. What is the company culture like overall? Yeah, we we uh, we definitely align ourselves. I think a lot with just Bitcoin or values in general. So meritocracy first and foremost um, mm-hmm. is one of the driving principles. Uh, working asynchronously, we're all a remote team. Um, having uh, high integrity um, and passion for what we do, and mm-hmm. and then. Um, Will, our founder, actually, I think is really responsible for uh, setting a tone of gratitude within our business, which sounds a bit odd, but you know, when you're when times are tough and they inevitably will be uh, in in certain moments at a startup, yeah. like being grateful for the people that you work with um, really goes a long way uh, to to keeping you know the fences mended and and people moving forward together instead of getting getting argumentative and at each other yeah. uh, and, and point fingers. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think Bitcoin mining particularly, you can experience a Bitcoin bear market, but on top of that, miners experience kind of like a double bear market. You guys get hit the hardest. So having that that company culture where we're going to be in good spirits still, be grateful that we're able to still do this and do what we're doing, working with other high integrity people, that's really important to a founding organization, especially such a small team. Um, that's what makes me, I guess, bullish on your long-term success too. It's not only like the product you're offering, it's the team you're building too. Yeah, it really is the team that's gotten us this far. Uh, and I'm, I'm remiss that I haven't given them more credit up until this point of the conversation because, I mean, they they definitely make us and make me look good out in the marketplace. Uh, everything yeah. that they're doing, I mean, super talented individuals, and I can't believe how much we've accomplished with so little. And mm-hmm. if anything, like I, I do believe that this bear market, as challenging as it's been, I mean, it's the longest bear market. We're launching our business, you know, basically the first quarter of this year is when we got operational in the harshest bear market. Like yeah. we come out of this successfully, and we've basically become Spartans, you know. Like I, I don't think anything can possibly stand in our way because this is, this is one of the hardest uh, things I've ever done in uh, in my career life here. Right. I, there's something so special about building that founding team that has gone through it with you, and then because when you're ready to start scaling the team, now all the people that come in, they're going to see the employees that have been here on your team and, and just see how hard they work, and that's going to be contagious too. Just really like a 
setting yourself up for success over time, I think. That's great what you guys are doing. I think you're taking the right approach and hiring Bitcoiners. And that's the that's the hack here when you're making a startup. Um, tell me more about what you do day to day as the COO and president of SAS Mining. Oh, I, I think it's better defined by what I don't do. Um, I think <laughs> okay. if, 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 uh, if, no, if, for, uh, if you know, you're know. doing so many different things, uh, but yeah, yeah, no, it's true. It's, 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 it's true. So my, my role to be more specific I, and I guess my, my role specifically is, um, so, so Will and I have an unusual, uh, 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 splitting of the leadership, we we discovered early on um, a a an, an approach that is called um, an integrator visionary model, mm-hmm. and we found out that we actually tested perfectly for that. So Will uh, is the visionary out in front of the organization, out evangelizing and working to to spread our brand, mm-hmm. and I actually am the operator internal to the business. Uh, so I actually allocate the capital as well as kind of keep the trains running on time. So build the company culture, vision, team dynamics, these sorts of things all kind of fall on my plate while mm-hmm. he's out uh, finding the big ideas and bringing them back to the table for me to integrate into the business and, and push out to the market. Okay. So I just mentioned that uh, I came back from a Bitcoin conference this past weekend. He'd be someone attending maybe a Bitcoin conference, maybe more typically yeah. appearing on podcasts. You'd be behind the scenes running everything. Yep. Yeah. And typically like this sort of thing, I would say would probably be better for, for Will, except for because this is focused on hiring and that is the part of the job, the role that I do. I said, yeah. yeah, let's, let's jump on here, Eric, and, and, and I'll have this conversation with you. Got it. Okay. And because you guys are a remote based company, you're not on site where your mining facilities are. What's it like working with a fully remote team? Well, First time in my life that I have worked in this way, and I would say I've definitely learned some lessons, and I'd be happy to to pass those on because it's not been easy to figure mm-hmm. out how to build like quality team dynamics. So some of the things that we do is well, I think first of all, in an office, there's a lot of small interactions that occur that that build bonding and team culture, yeah. and I think that they get missed in a remote environment unless you yeah. put intentionality around those. And so we have. So specifically, we have some like water cooler type events to just bring people on to calls and talk about things that have nothing to do with work, just to know each other as human beings. And then intentionally, uh, in every call that I lead, I, I never start the call with work. I always talk about what's going on with them personally so that it's not because I think that if you just treat the other person on the other end of the screen as an automaton meant to Mm -hmm. do this task and that task, Mm -hmm. I think you you lose the the ability to retain a team dynamic over time because we're human beings and we're not robots. And, you know, if people are given care and attention and they begin to act like they're not given care and attention. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think something pretty unusual about me is that's actually the area that I get the most joy in leadership is just working with people and watching them grow. Uh, and I wouldn't have said that earlier in my career, but having become a father about five, six years ago, there's something deeply satisfying about watching people grow that I enjoy and uh, mm-hmm. makes this particular role a good fit for me. Yeah, I think not even just the Bitcoin industry. I think all over companies are trying to adjust to this remote life, what it's like. Those are some good insights. So I think it's just going back to being a human. Like you said, starting those calls are just, hey, how's your day going? What's going on with life? That really makes a difference, I think. Yeah. You don't feel like you're just part, part of the cog in the wheel. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I hope that SAS Mining, we never lose that because I, I, that's important for me is, is being human first and foremost. Um, right. And that's how I treat my team. You know, it's like, it, it, you know, there's a, there's a book I read called The Trillion Dollar Coach that had a big influence on me. And I forget what his last name is, but a fellow named Bill that wound mm-hmm. up being like a mentor basically for all like Sergey Brin, uh, the Google executives, the uh, Apple executives, all of them. And so if you look at the market cap that he was actually mentoring, it was more than a trillion dollars mm-hmm. uh, back in the, the, the early mid-2000s. And I was just really blown away by that because he always came at it as people first. And, and I think that, that when you have that approach, that things go a lot better and a lot further than if you approach it um, just top-down hammer and things and and i think that ethos actually fits with bitcoin in general yeah i cannot agree more um so i get messages i'd say a handful a week from energy professionals looking to break into the bitcoin industry and they're always asking you know how can i break in how can i get my foot in the door with bitcoin companies Mm -hmm. what's a piece of advice you give to an energy professional looking to work in the bitcoin mining space well, I don't know if my advice would be specific to an energy professional so much as mm-hmm. generic, but what I have seen and heard a lot of stories about is, and myself included, so maybe this is my own bias, but step into an organization, just see how you can add value. Uh, and after enough time, that will turn into a full-time role of some sort. But I can't tell you how many people that I've both experienced uh, internal to our organization and um in other Bitcoin companies have said, yeah, I just showed up and said, Hey, how, how can I carry your coffee and figure this out? And what do you need? Okay. You know? And, and that just turns into things because you, you clearly are not going to do that unless you care about what that company is doing. Um, right. and so, and, and I think that there's some like proof of work to that too. Um, mm. that is showing, like, I just got off the phone with some, some, some fellows out of Switzerland, uh, talking about hosting with us and they did that too. Like if you really get focused in on Bitcoin, you're probably going to become so passionate about it that you have to figure out a way to work in this industry. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's, there, there's something to be said for just being able to figure out how to work even before a, a salary comes and that whole, uh, that, that whole part of life occurs. So anyway, if you can afford it, obviously that's not for everybody, but, um, you know, it's, it's a great way to, to vet those that are really here for the right reasons versus those that are just here for a paycheck. Yeah. And that's the central theme I hear over and over again. Uh, it's really about adding value, being here because you want to be here authentic, more or less, I guess, just having an open mind too, as you come into it. There's no yeah. like, here's exactly what you need to do day to day. It's kind of just add value every day you wake up. Um, as we wrap this podcast up, so you said you live in Peru and there's some circular economies starting to get started there. What's the Bitcoin scene like in Peru? I would say it is up and coming and a lot more so uh, after a recent uh, trip here by Joe Nakamoto and, and Paco runs with Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were invited here on the request of Motive, uh, which is an NGO that has set up about 15 different circular economies here in Peru. And, you know, they toured the country and got to see a lot of these circular economies in action. And 
it was pretty mind blowing. Um, you know, even the local community here to where I live, pretty mind blowing mm -hmm. to see people really using the Lightning Network and Bitcoin as a way to facilitate yeah. transactions because there's a lot of unbanked people here. Uh, Peru is a pretty distinct country in Latin America for a lot of reasons. One, it's both culturally and materially fairly wealthy, uh, but it's also developing very much so. Um, and one of the things that's been interesting is it has the most stable currency in Latin America. And as a result, it's almost like Bitcoin it can develop here without like the central bank or like the, you know, the, the Congress and the powers that be really feeling like it's a threat because they've got such a stable currency. So, you know, what's what that's allowed is a, a, an organization like Motive to come in and start to help the unbanked and to, uh, you know, mm -hmm. seed Bitcoin into some of these circular economies and really lay the foundation for what I think could be like the next like Bitcoin Beach type of opportunity here. And there's something particularly, I haven't looked into it fully, but there's something particular about how money is defined in Peru that, that makes it a, a potential for uh, mass adoption here. That and almost everybody that has bank accounts here has both US dollar and soles, which is the local currency bank accounts. So mm -hmm. I, I don't see that there's like this conflict between other currencies uh, that exists within other via. What do you mean by that? How money is defined there? Uh, so I haven't looked into it fully, but constitutionally, I understand from another Bitcoiner here that Bitcoin is actually constitutionally protected by the way that money is defined. Oh. Uh, so again, I haven't looked into the laws and, and, right. and I don't want to get too far over my skis, but I understand from within the Bitcoin yeah. community that uh, that Bitcoin fits the definitions that they've uh, constitutionally protected huh. for money here. Um, so yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting, Peru is very much a very interesting place and, and distinct from a lot of Latin American countries. Would you say, so even though a decent amount of the population there is unbanked, do they all have smartphones? Exactly. Like everyone on the ground there? Uh, yeah. Exactly. So it makes perfect sense for Bitcoin to come yeah. in and actually uh, become a thing. Exactly. It really does. It really does. Is is wow. because of the unbanked community and the, the proliferation of smartphones. And one of the things that's really hard to 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 get your head wrapped around in latin america but but folks here understand why bitcoin is valuable from a monetary standpoint like pretty intuitively mm. right versus like mm. that point is a big fight for a lot of people in north america and, and europe right it's like oh you're conflicting right. with my existing money the dollar's been the strongest like i don't need to think about this other thing versus uh, in Latin America, the flip side is the technology side is what, what hangs up a lot of people. So it's 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 interesting to see like you've got to overcome the technological hurdles with how does this work and and, and less education understanding, right? So actually, I think that there's you know if if I were designing a wallet or other like application that I wanted to target the unbanked, I would go spend a lot of time in these communities and see how they're actually utilizing it because how we as Westerners might think of uh, these applications working versus how people are actually going to use them is going to be quite different. Yeah. And to wrap, I guess, to wrap all this into SaaS too, are you, what's your target market? Are you targeting more North America or is this, is this market open to you as well? So we're global um, and we do have customers from all over the place, but most of our customers right now are North American. You know, in, in the future, we do plan to bring um, some financing options. So people buy mining rigs from us, right? Like, and they have the serial numbers, they own that mining rig. Like there's no there's no separation between their, their ownership of the mining rig. So there's no cloud-based approach going on here. 
However, what we want to do in the future is to bring a financing option in. That way we can reduce the upfront cost to people to to uh, purchase a mining rig because, you know, mining okay. rig prices are... They might are, not have access to credit right now. Yeah, they might saying. not be able to get like the two to $4,000. I think that's the biggest yeah. limiting factor for, for people here to okay. participate. You know, that's only going to be the wealthier folks that have that uh, amount of capital to invest. That makes sense. So... Along with what you guys are doing, I guess, in, in terms of like user, user interface, making it frictionless, there's also that, that capital side or the credit side that needs to come into play yeah. to really tap into these uh, these areas. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And that, that's what we need to deliver in the future. And we're mm -hmm. aiming for it, but we're not there yet. Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's wrap this up. What's what's the future of SAS mining look like? Future of SAS mining. Well, I think the future of SAS mining is doggone bright. I actually think that we're, we're sort of one of these companies that has the potential to become like a, uh, a darling of the, like the next bull cycle, because I think that we serve a very important need that has been underserved in our industry so far, which is people that want access to mining, uh, that want to acquire their Bitcoin through a vehicle that's native to the Bitcoin network, not exchanges. Uh, and have a delightful customer experience. And I think as that message gets out there and people continue to experience it, I think that there's going to be a tidal wave of business. And I would actually say that that reputational shadow that we talked about earlier of other companies yep. that have come before us has been the hardest thing for us to overcome. And I'm convinced when it yep. flips in our industry that it will actually be good for all of us as Bitcoiners because the number of uh, negative stories that I've heard from others means that that has to be keeping people away from Bitcoin. Um, so. Yep. So flipping this is kind of like uh, cleaning out the uh, the attic of the Bitcoin ecosystem a little bit and bringing right. in some some Mr. Sunshine and Sparkle uh, to the situation. So I think that'll be good for all of us as as Bitcoiners to uh, to clean up the reputation in this space. Yeah, I agree, and I, I love what you guys are doing. Uh, wish you the best of success here going to the bull market, building up that reputation. Um, so where can the audience find get in touch with you and find out more about SAS Mining? Yeah, so SAS Mining, uh, www.sasmining.com, all one word, um, at SAS Mining on Twitter. And then myself, my DMs are always open, at K Halliburton uh, is my Twitter handle. Uh, and that would be probably the best approaches to reach us. But, you know, on our website, we've got live chat agents. Um, and you can write us. We'll set up phone conversations if you want to learn more about what we're doing and we're up to. Uh, but we'd love to have your feedback. Um, so, you know, feel free to reach out even just to say hello and uh, let us know your thoughts on what it is that we're building. So, Eric, I have to say thank you to you too, man, for letting me come on here and share what it is that we're up to and for, for helping us, um, you know, oh, with, uh, yeah. with, uh, with growing our business. Yeah, I guess we should wrap this up by saying uh, we are helping SAS Mining with one of their positions. So uh, if anyone's out there looking for a content management type of role, head of content, please head over, uh, I guess, to our Twitter. We, we've advertised it quite a bit. Or you can DM me, DM Kent, um, get in touch about that. Please. All right. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah, hopefully we get the update from you in like a year or so. We'll see how you guys are doing when the bull market comes. But until then, best of luck building up the reputation some more. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Eric. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening, and I really hope you found value in this podcast. If you are a job seeker looking to work for a Bitcoin company or you're a part of a Bitcoin company and need help with finding talent for your team, 
please head over our website at www.bitcointalent.co and get in touch with our team. Thanks until next time.